there, everybody. Before we get into the episode, I do want to talk to you about a new opportunity that John Shane, the Keto Road, and I have put together for you if you are looking for accountability and support on a weight loss, fitness, health journey, whether you are keto or not, all ways of eating, all tools in use are welcome here. This is a free private Facebook group. And what we're going to be doing in there is not only offering resources, information, access to content we're creating before it goes out to everyone else, and doing monthly lives, one-on-one with each of us and together as a group. So if you are interested in this opportunity, it's called the Keto Road Crew on Facebook. The link is going to be in the show notes today. Like I said, it's completely free, access to two coaches, and we're just working to build a group that's going to help each other with that accountability that we all need on our personal journeys. So check that out if you're interested, and let's get into this week's episode. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gormie, and I am here with you once again, because how would I not be um, if you're listening to this? So I, I guess that's, I'm stating the obvious. I'm recording on a Saturday morning, and I'm excited to be connecting with, with this week's guest. His name is Tom Lancaster. Tom, how are you doing today? Oh, can't complain. Wouldn't do any good if I did, you know? Of course, of course. So, man, I'm glad to, glad to have you here. Let's let's not keep people from it, man. Tell us, what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Oh, you know, I'm a former fat guy. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I think at my, my biggest, I was 675. Um, I'm down to 298 as of this morning. Um, took a lot to get that big. It took a lot to get, you know, back down where I'm at now. Um, I guess, well, I mean, background has a lot to do with it. You know, I've, I've read some of your posts and everything and listened to some other, other thoughts and everything. And I guess everybody's got their own story and how they got to where they were at and everything, you know, it's. It's not just, you know, bad food choices or trauma or anything like that. It's a combination of everything, you know? No, it definitely is, man. Like, where did, did you grow up a big kid? Like, where did where did things begin for you when it came to um, size and weight and things along those lines? Well, it was a, it was a combination of things, really. Um, so my, my parents um, separated when I was young, and my grandparents... My, my mom's parents were um, Great Depression kids. Um, I don't know how else to put it. They both were born in the 20s, and they very much had that mentality of they're starving children in China. Clean your plate, clean your plate, clean your plate. Um, they also had that very much old school mentality of feed everybody like they're working a manual, job, manual labor job. You know, breakfasts were way too big. Lunches were way too big. Um when you cook dinner, like during the week and everything, you cook enough for an army. And when there's that continual pressure to, you know, make sure you clean your plate, you know, we don't waste food here. Um, it gets a little, little overwhelming. Um, so, I mean, combine that with, um, after my parents separated, there was a real problem with uh, food accessibility. Um, I'm not going to say we went, we went hungry necessarily, but like there's certain foods that to this day I can't eat. Like I, I can't stomach beans at all because after my parents separated, I spent three years 
um, the only meals my mom could afford to make for three years was beans and occasionally hot dogs mixed in with the beans. Um, I, I can't, I can't stomach beans at all now because of that. And so what that wound up creating is any time that I had something that wasn't that same, um, meal over and over again, I would, I would overindulge, um, a lot of psychological issues that went in with it as well, you know, finding, um, solace within food, um, within books and everything. I, uh, I actually had a conversation with uh, somebody a couple weeks ago who's a who's a former friend, and his whole thing was like, "Oh, well, you're choosing to isolate and yada yada yada." And, and I told him, I'm "Like, you don't seem to understand, man. I grew up with zero friends at all. I had myself and books and my imagination." Um, so you know, sitting alone and not having friends or anything like that, you know, it's just it's, I'm used to it. It's, it's the devil I know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Those things have such a great impact on it. You know, it, 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 cause food scarcity, which is what you, you're describing, like is something that, you know, I just think I've seen as a pattern in, in terms of development for people, you know, not just on the show, you know, people I've talked to on the show, but people I've talked to in other avenues and it has such a lasting development impact on our development the same way the things you're talking about in terms of isolation or or just what you knew is normal you know becoming that that lifelong nor- those lifelong normal pathways so it, it makes sense like that those are factors that definitely come into play yeah, it's like um so you you hear about kids who come from like tiger mom families where there's high levels of expectations placed upon them all the way up and everything and then they go off to college and to to put it very frankly and everything the hoe days come out right they they literally go out and they have sex with everyone they can they overindulge in drugs alcohol food all that and i i think another big part of it is when I was able to get access to things like like food and everything. I just chose to overindulge. Um, so when did you first become like conscious? Uh, like, so were you putting on weight as a kid? Like, when did it become something that wasn't just the norm you were living, but you actually became conscious of whether this is making me different or... This is something that people are upset about. Like when, when did that come into play for you? So I, I never attributed that my size and my weight and everything was unhealthy until I was almost 30. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't like super skinny, but I wasn't super big either. And then I got into athletics. So I said that my weight gain had to do with sports. Um, you know, played, played football, wrestled, did weightlifting, all that happy jazz and everything. Um, so I never, I never attributed my size to something negative. I attributed to a a positive. Um, and then I, I, for lack of a better term, I got a desk job and I just kept eating. Like I was still living like a high 
like a high um, high energy labor intensive job and I was working out all the time and the reality that I, I wasn't. Um, combine that with some major major depression issues um, things just spiraled out of control um, and it, it got to the point where I was a prisoner in my own body. Um, I, I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, I was embarrassed to be seen and to be seen in public you know i didn't smile in pictures um i was actually going through and looking at old pictures of me and everything and you know i can count on one hand in the last 10 years the amount of pictures where i am genuinely smiling not not a forced smile not a, not a you know not the post fake smiles or anything like genuinely happy um and I, I think I recognized that it was because of those, because of my size, I was feeding into that. Um, it, it's funny because these are all things that I recognize in myself that I needed to work on, um, need to focus on, and didn't do it at the time. And I see it in my oldest nephew, especially. Um, great kid heart of gold but he's 19 and he's already almost 400 pounds and i know i come across as real real gruff and coarse with him about it but i i tell him every day i'm like dom buddy you gotta get your handle on this shit now while you're still young and i'm like if nothing else the not having to worry if a chair that you sit in is going to support you to not pay three times as much for a pair of jeans that last you a third the amount of time as anybody else buys. To not have to go through the humiliation of going up to the Southwest ticket counter and saying, hey, I need a pre-boarding pass and a person of size pass because I'm too fucking fat to fit in a plane seat by myself. I'm going to overlap on somebody else. And that's just it's just it's just humiliating. Or you know, going to an amusement park and realizing you cannot ride anything there. Not a, not a single thing there because you just physically do not fit in any of the rides. For I mean, for, and it's, 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 it's not even, you know, trying to get the safety parts or anything. It's literally just getting yourself into the seat. You don't fit. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you hurt all the time. Your heart hurts. Your body hurts, your your spirit hurts, because you're just constantly seeing the effects and the stares that come with it too. Um, I mean, it's it's unreal. I have a well, you live that experience, I, and to see someone headed in a similar direction, someone that you care about, is is hard. You know, it, it really is. And hard really isn't the right word for it. Like it's not not intense enough. I think of an emotion like. There, there's some passion there, like I'm sure, like having lived that experience. I mean, I would, I would say it's enraging. Actually, it's like I just want to grab him and shake him and be like, "Dude, I have walked this path. You don't want to do this. You, you do not want to do this." Um, well, let's let's talk about what that path was like for you, like in terms of. Cause you talked about getting, you know, kind of heading it, like when you were heading into adulthood, like you were like, and got the desk job, like, do you remember where you were, you know, si like, were you in the 300s? Were you in the 400? Like, where, where, where are you at physically 
you know, to to give some context. I was about 325 when I got my first actual desk job. Um, and I was consuming between food and um, alcohol probably nine, ten thousand 10,000 calories a day. But I, I literally went from walking probably 12 miles a day and just constantly doing work. I worked as a, I worked as a millwright um, at the time, which is a very, very physical job and everything. And worked out all the time to literally sitting at a desk and answering tech support questions through Time Warner Cable. You know, I mean, it's it doesn't it doesn't lead to a healthy lifestyle and everything. Um, and then you're like, well, I don't need to change anything. I don't need to change anything. And stuff snowballs. Um, by the time I got married. Um, I was up to 418 um, when we got when when uh, I got married. Um, and then shit just just snowballed from there. you know I, I think the hardest part about being married is and, and this does relate to the whole fat guy thing. Um, this relates, it's the whole, you get complacent, all right? You stop, you stop working at it. Um, you say, well, you know what? This person signed up for me. They're going to love me no matter what. You know, it doesn't matter if I blow up to be, you know, something comedic um, and horrifying at the same time, you know, they're still going to love me. And you start taking advantage of that complacency and that love and everything. Um, I'm not going to say that my wife, you know, force fed me or anything like that. I made, I made those decisions all on my own. Um, but that definitely played a factor into it. I know that we had um, extreme difficulty and we have never been successful in having children. You know, we went through three IVF cycles and that that destroyed me as well when, you know, we, we just kept failing because I kept asking myself, are we failing because I'm too big? Are we failing because there's something wrong with me? And that that powerlessness that goes into it because it's a it's a basic biological drive to make more of yourself. And you don't feel, or at least I didn't feel, like an adequate husband, a man, a human being, um, being unable to to make children. Um, with my wife or with any woman for that matter. Um, so that ate it as well. And I remember distinctively, I got into um, a disagreement with my son of a bitch. Okay, sorry. My, my whole screen went dark and everything. I thought I lost you. All right, anyway, so... Where was I in this? So... That feeds into it as well, and when you have learned skills that teach you to um, cope with things, with with food and with isolation, and everything it just compounds things. 
and eventually you get to a point where it's physically painful to do anything. So then that becomes just a vicious cycle at that point. You know, you've, you've beaten yourself down psychologically and have trained yourself to use food and complacency um, as a coping mechanism for your own, your own head game. Um, and then it just, it just compounds. I mean, I, I, you had a post the other day on Instagram that, that talked about it, where you start making strategic plans on where I can take breaks, you know, where I can hide because I'm so just humiliated with my own existence. I just, I need to take breaks between interactions with people because I'm, I'm just so humiliated by what I have become. And I have no one to actually blame for that but myself which i think is like let's get because in that because it's something i think about a lot like for you living that experience when you're living that experience what because i i think sometimes people that don't struggle like aren't in the in this actual fight and have the experiences that brought them to that point the immediate reaction that someone out there sitting out there listening is well, then why didn't you do something immediately about it? Like, so can you, which I know the answer to that is not as, you know, is, is not as cut and dry as I think the person listening thinks. Like, so from your perspective, when this is happening, you know, when you're getting bigger and you're in this, you know, body that you're ha- is, is pain and dealing with all of these things, like from your perspective, what kept you complacent versus having you like, you know, struggling to make sure you didn't fall off the cliff for lack of a better term. So I think, so my approach to it has been like addiction. Um, A lot of folks don't know this, but I spent my early 20s a heroin addict. Um, I I lived in Kansas City, Missouri, and spent three years of my life living under the Heart of America Bridge. Anybody in Kansas City will know exactly where that's at. Um, Voluntarily chose to live there and prostituted myself out to to get drug money. Um, And one of the things that I, I learned from that is, at least with myself, you have to reach a breaking point where you have to choose to live. Okay, you, you, you sit there and you wrestle with it and you have suicidal ideations and you struggle with it and you struggle with it and you struggle with it. And, and finally you reach a point where you are like, okay, I can either make a change and break free of this I can let this slowly continue to kill me or I can speed things up and just kill myself. So which one is it? Do you want to live or not? And if you don't want to live, do you want a slow death or a quick death? And for me, it was, I mean, just like my addiction, I was like, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. I want to, I want to live. So I just quit cold Turkey. Um, and it's the, the, the food addiction and getting myself healthy and everything was the, the exact same way for me. I had a, a plan, right? I was just so, so miserable in myself that I, I made a plan. My, my wife was planning a uh, girl's trip 
to a state park called Hahatanka here in uh, Missouri. And she was going to go off um, on a Friday night. She's going to be back on Tuesday. My, my plan was that I had a 90-day supply of blood pressure medicine, um, uh, Losartan actually, um, and I was going to eat the entire 90-day supply, drink a bottle of whiskey, couple, couple, smoke a couple of cigars, take a nap, and never wake up. It would have been Tuesday before she found me. I was going to wait for her to message me when she got down there, so it was at least a four-hour drive. So no matter what, there's no way anybody could have saved me. Um, and as, as, as fate would have it, I fell, um, and hurt myself bad enough that I could not ambulate. I was so heavy that I could not ambulate to the bathroom by myself. I had to have somebody help me. Um, and my big thing is I don't want to be an inconvenience or a burden to anyone. Um, people think I'm joking when I, I say that if I'm ever in a position where I'm a burden again, like if I get like Alzheimer's or I end up in a, in a wheelchair or I require like full care assistance of any kind, um, that I, I absolutely will not put another person through that ever again. I won't do it. Um, I will do the right thing and I will take my own life. Um, So I was, I was put into that position and everything that I had to have somebody come and help me. And my, I told my wife to go ahead and go to Hahatanka. Um, she was like, well, how are you going to get to the bathroom and everything? And I asked my, my nephews, actually, uh, my two oldest nephews to come and, and stay with me and just to help me, just help me get into the bathroom and stuff. I'm like, I don't need you to do anything else. Just when I got to go pee, help me stand up and get me in there, right? You don't have to help me stand up off the toilet, anything like that. I can figure that out. There's enough, there's enough shit that I can pull myself up on. Um, I just f literally just need help getting from point A to point B. Um, and I remember sitting there at like two o'clock in the morning, right? Just weeping uncontrollably. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't continue to die a slow death. I can't, I, I certainly can't um, go through with my, my suicide plan here, you know, because how, how much is this going to fuck up these two kids? Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're going to wake up, find me dead. It's going to traumatize them. They have done so much just to make sure that I can get through with just basic human dignity. Um, and that's when I, I chose to live. That's when I started making the actual, the actual changes. Um, the very first thing I did is that I divorced the idea of food being a source of pleasure for me. Um, and can can we, know, the, before we get into the changes you made, can we talk about that situation for, for a minute? Like, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's some important stuff in there. And I, I think one, you know, I'm an internet stranger. You know, but I, I, I want to say that it's good to hear you come to that place of, of wanting to live. Cause I know what, what that is like. And I, and I, I think again, it goes back to like, I, I, often, I think about the people listening to, to the experience they're hearing. And I, I think the important thing for people to, to have an understanding of is when we feel trapped in those situations, like literally, you know, literally trapped in your body, that idea of. Ending your own, you know, and again, I, I don't, 
I don't want to get the show struck for us talking too deeply into the the topic of of you know taking taking one's own life. Like, but it's not that what that's about. It's the idea that 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 those can be thoughts that enter our heads because there doesn't seem to be any other. You know, it's that idea that there isn't that other way out. Like there is no other answer. You know, when you're trapped in a circumstance that makes that feel like the only answer, that's what feels normal and feels like it's the only answer until something happens that changes that perspective. Like having that experience, you know, having that realization that you had of what the impact of your action would be, you know, the rippling effect. Because too often, I think when people deal with suicidal ideation, you know, it is because the idea of their personal pain is so overwhelming. And that it's when that perspective on the bigger picture of it starts to come into play that you start to realize that in the end, it's not about necessarily wanting yourself to be gone. You know, it's about what you're dealing with and those challenges and that pain. And it's about finding another way to deal with those things and grasping onto that hope for life and that want to live. And I think that's the thing that often for someone who's never struggled with that, won't have that perspective on like how on earth would you ever be able to have a thought that not living would be better? You know, like, and it's about coming through that experience and surviving, being a true survivor of those things that you've been through, you know, and being, think, uh, a, being able to, to get to that place of being able to fight for yourself. Go ahead. I think, a, I think a big part of it is, is you, you touched right on it, is that you feel trapped. Um, you, you legitimately feel, and I, and I don't think it's just in, you know, major major weight issues i think it's across anybody who has this kind of ideations is i would i would say that probably 90 percent of the time it's they feel they feel trapped they feel like they've painted themselves into a corner and there's there's no other option it's it's no matter what i do someone somewhere is going to hurt and at the very least, I can stop future hurt from happening to them. I can give them this one big hurt right here, and then no more hurt from me again. Um, and then that, of course, you know, just, just feeds into itself, you know, repeatedly over and over again. And it speaks to how much we value ourselves or don't value ourselves, you know, in that, it, you know, not necessarily because of like who we are as people, but because of the place that we've gotten ourselves to and feel trapped in. Right. <sighs> no, definitely take a deep breath. This is heavy stuff, man. No pun intended. But I think it's important for people to understand, like, it's not just, I, you know, I was 675 pounds and oblivious to it, you know, because I think sometimes there's that perspective somehow, like it, it and I even think sometimes that's fed into by what you see on, you know, TV shows like My 600 Pound Life, like when the person just seems like completely is painted by the editing and the filming to be like completely oblivious to the circumstances they're living in it. But the reality is, is that they're not like when you're living in that body and you're living in that or whatever the challenge is, but living in that place, you are, you know, almost constantly aware of of what your situation is and the challenges you're facing and the lack of hopelessness, you know, the feelings of hopelessness or the feeling of, even if it's not hopelessness, it's, I just don't know the direction to take to get out of here. So I can't see a way out of this situation, but, 
And and I do I one hundred percent believe that, like you've said, the spark that starts to help that change be there is saying, I don't necessarily know the path that's going to get me out of here, but I know that I want to live. You know, like of the options in front of me, you know, like you said, slow, quick, or live. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to live, and then do what I what I need to do to get there. Right, right, and uh, it's funny you mentioned my 600 pound life. I, I uh, probably the biggest thing that upsets me um, about the editing of that show is not only does it edit these people to give them a sense an, an appearance of just absolute obliviousness. Right, um, but also the the way that it is edited, that the people who love them enable them and enable that behavior. You know, I uh, it, it's funny, and I know it was fat shaming, but it, it's one of those things that I felt I had to put it that way. Um, I mentioned my my oldest nephew Dominic is a is a, he's a big boy. He's a, he's a big boy. Um, he's a college student, and part of his tuition, he's got a meal plan, and my mom, because my mom only learned how to show love by feeding people, is trying to get extra money together to buy him extra food. And I told my mom, and I'm like, look, mom, stop. Stop fucking feeding him. Okay. He has food available to him. His meal plan literally gives him a buffet three times a day he it's it's not a question of food scarcity he wants extra food because he wants to munch on food on his schedule and he wants to munch on you know stuff that he wants he wants junk food you know that's that's what he wants and everything i'm like stop it just 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 fucking stop it and the whole enabling thing on there and she's like well i just i just wanted to be happy and i'm like all right have you ever watched my 600 pound life mom and she's like yeah and i'm like okay 90% of these people get to a point where it's not like they're going to go and actually physically go get the two large pizzas and the bucket of chicken for dinner. Somebody's bringing it to them. And it's somebody that loves them. And the whole editing of how these people are enabled by their loved ones. Because, I mean, you, I, like, you could turn on an episode right now. I guarantee you that there is somebody on there that is bringing whoever the, that episode is about, you know, just this absolute disgusting level of food um, to them and letting them eat it and everything. And then they'll go to another camera shot and they'll bitch about it. And it's like, well, if you're so upset about it, then why are you doing it? And it's it, it goes into the whole how your perception is colored by what's presented to you. Um, well, I think, I think, I, I think too, in those circumstances, you're dealing with people who, from their perspective, because often sometimes the, you know, we know our perspectives aren't reality, like, but from our perspectives, I've done everything that I can to try to help. And all I want is in whatever way I can to give this person happiness, like, it becomes it it starts as a pure impulse you know it's a pure it's a nurturing is a very positive thing you know 99% of the time but it becomes in some ways perverted by circumstance and experience and 
you know, the, the relationships. And sometimes those relationships are, are not the healthiest relationships. And like you said, then it, what it becomes is, you know, feed with one hand and slap it with the other. You know, I, it's, it's not near at all the same situation, but it's the same way. I remember the fact that like my family, when I was a kid, we had, we had dessert at every meal when we were like coming together for family meals, like Saturday morning breakfast at my grandparents' house. There was, as soon as you finished this gigantic meal, there was cakes brought out, you know, like coffee cakes and muffins and pastries and things like that. But then as soon as the muffins were done, it could be then time to have a lecture, you know, time for the whole family to, to lecture me about my weight. Like, in, you know, it's feed with one hand and, and with the other, try to educate or change or whatever. Like, Oh my God. And the, the head game that, that that creates for you, because it's like, all right, so let me make sure I understand this right, Grandma. You want to make sure there's no leftover, so nothing goes to waste. And you you made an entire cake and everything. And you are going to sit here and guilt me if I don't eat not just one, but several large pieces of cake and everything. And then immediately afterwards... Grab me by the by, grab me right in the love handle. Get a big old hunk of flesh and everything, and go. You're getting fat. All right, it's like, what? What do you? What do you? What do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's that the same way the person who is living the experience, you know, the the bigger person is living the experience can at one you know in one breath say all I want to do is you know is be healthy. And in the next breath, order a pizza after finishing dinner. The same thing, you know, other human beings do the exact same thing. You know, I, I want I want you to be healthier, but this is what I, you know, this is the path that I know. This is this is all I know in terms of nurturing. Like there's it's it's understanding the imperfections of of, of human beings and being able to navigate that and you know, you see that on the you see that on the shows, and yeah, there's weirder stuff involved sometimes on those shows. But you know that that mother that is bringing the food to someone, you know, probably you know, and again, we could we could we could sit down and dissect a season of the show, like the actual issues at play every every episode. Like you know, we don't have we don't have the the, the time to necessarily say, okay, is there you know, you're almost like is this like a situation where the person's afraid of the person leaving them, so they're keeping them you know, satisfied with food because they're afraid they're going to leave them like all of those things. Like, but at the end of the day, like it's understanding that those, those impulses just in the same way, like our, our impulse of self care and protection, you know, can be warped by that relationship with food, you know? And, and I think it's important, you know, to highlight, you know, not to, to make sure that we draw those parallels, knowing like your experience with drug addiction, your experience with food addiction are intimately linked. Like, in terms of like the the person experiencing it is the same person. The person going using things for different reasons is the same person. Like, and we can overcome one challenge and face another. Like, it's it's so much more to unpack than just I I didn't know food was you know I didn't know I was eating too much food. Like I didn't know I I didn't know I should exercise. Like it's it's way more than you know, for lack of a better term. I just needed to eat less and move more. Like there's, there's a lot more to the lived experience and what we're, what we're experiencing while we're living it. Yeah. I, I, my words are failing me a little bit there, but you know, just the fact that we can be in that place, like, because again, 675 pounds, you know, I was over 500 pounds. Like 
there are people that hear those numbers and can't even fathom what they mean, you know, to live in those bodies every day. And like, I would be screaming and clawing and fighting every moment that I was awake. And they make this assumption that that drive was never there for any of us. Like it was just somehow until one day a switch flipped, like, but no, it's a, it's a constant battle. You know, it's a, it's, that's fought on many different fronts and there are different times where the energy goes to different places. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. On that, um, on the, the same vein as addiction, I think at least for myself, and I don't, I don't know if you found the same thing or if other people who have been, who have been part of the podcast or listening to it can associate with this. Um, the big driver for me is, and, and I have an addictive personality. I don't know how else to, to put it. Um, don't don't get me don't don't get me wrong when I say that you know I conquered my food addiction. I didn't conquer anything. I traded one addiction for another. Um, I I traded my food addiction for working out. Like I I <laughs> I literally went from you know complacent fat desk jockey to I'm up at 4:30 in the morning every morning. Um, I do a 5k and then I do heavy weights for two hours, six days a week. Like I, I, I did not, I just traded one addiction for the next. And this addiction, um, is definitely healthier for me. Um, it's, it's definitely seeing, you know, the, the physical improvements and it is helping out my, my mental head game as well. Um, I was, um, made a post about this a couple weeks ago um you may you may have seen it on my on my instagram um where it's that there's a sculptor who made a, a pitch a sculpture of the thing called the self-made man where he's chiseling out you know out from the fat guy you know what he's actually envisioning everything and I listen to Arnold Schwarzenegger pretty pretty regularly because the guy is for lack of better terms probably one of the most inspirational individuals there is out there. Like he, his initial persona when you first look at him on the surface is he's a complete Jim bro shithead and nothing can be further from the truth. Yes. He likes to joke around and mess with you and everything. Um, there's, I can't think of the actor's name, but he's the, he's the guy at every Quentin Tarantino movie who plays the German guy. Um, he's the, okay. he's the detective yep. in Glorious Bastards, that mm-hmm. guy, right? Well, he's, he's actually Austrian. Um, and he's asked in an interview what the difference between Austrians and Germans are. And he was like, all right, it's the same language, but when you're speaking with and dealing with an Austrian, it's like a dance. It's like a ballet, right? You go back and forth and everything flows together. Whereas when you deal with Germans, it's like dealing with the battleship. It's just straightforward to the point, ram it home and everything. And that's where the whole personality of, of uh, Arnold comes in, is that it's a dance. And once you understand that his whole personality is a dance, he, he's going to be honest with you. And he's going to give you the feedback that he feels that you need to hear and everything. Um, but he's going to joke with you about it. Right, he he's gonna joke with it. He's gonna, as the as the Scots put it, he's gonna take the piss out of you. Um, and he talks about how 
with exercise how he always viewed it like a sculptor right and you're you're looking at this hunk of marble and you know the image that you see underneath that right you you know what you see underneath that and everything and you say all right where do i got to chisel off to get this piece here to show and where do i got to chisel this off to get this piece here to show well that's the approach i've taken but i've taken it both you know both physically but both spiritually and mentally as well um because i am trying to learn to not only love myself but to see the work of art that other people see and to craft that out there so it that it so it shows um everywhere um And that's and that's something that I think really really drives me at this point is, you know, I I see this, other people see this. I want to see see it. You know, I want I want what's inside to show everywhere. Okay, time for a quick break to talk about the show's sponsor, which is John Shane's Performance Gains. John is a frequent guest on the program. You know him as the Keto Road, and he's created two products that I use regularly, including the True Endurance Caffeine-Free Pre-Workout. So you, it's a pre-workout you can take in the morning, at night, in the afternoon, and not worry about it affecting your ability to sleep or anything along those lines. And it also has a great boost of energy from ketones. Energize Reds is a recovery drink. It's got super fruit, antioxidants, a boost of electrolytes, and a little bit of matcha tea in there to give you energy and also help you recover from your workouts. It's something you want to take regularly, and I take it daily. So if you are interested in either of these products, use the link in the show notes and our new code, which is Fat Guy. so John will know if you're coming from this show. And if you're looking to support the program and try something new for yourself, this is a great way to get into it. So if you have any questions about these products, you can let me know because I'm using them. But also, go check them out. Link in bio. Use that code FATGUY. Save yourself 5% and support the show. Back to the program. So let's get, let's get back to, you know, I, I cut you off when you, were start, when you were probably getting to the things that people want to hear. You know, they want to hear all of this, obviously, because they're listening. But um, you were talking about going through the experience where you had to make that decision to live and had to start to make changes. And you were starting to get into what you did to start to make changes. What did that look like for you? Oh, the first thing I did is I divorced myself of the idea that food was a source of pleasure. Um, my, my, my pre-workout um, quote meal um, is so my, my keto skills are hot garbage. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend otherwise they are hot garbage. Um, and probably 90% of my calories that come in a day are coming through liquid form. Um, I had bariatric surgery in May of 2022. Um, almost killed me. I mean, whew, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, but like, so my, my, my pre-workout meal is one, um, Premier protein liquid shake, which is 30 grams of um, protein, two scoops of Body Fortress um, whey powder, which is another 60 grams of protein. This is all like at this point, we're up to three grams of carbs altogether. Um, one scoop of pre-workout, and then I top it off with a can of beer. Mm -hmm. um, and and the reason why is because you know I 
I got that early morning workout and everything, and I get the protein that I so desperately need because my my protein goals a day are insane. Um, 240 grams of protein a day minimum is what I shoot for. Um, and when you when you're doing two and a half hours of workout every day, six days a week, um, you gotta, you, you have to, you, you absolutely have to. Um, and the, the carbs you get from the beer, from the sugars in the beer and everything, you know, really carry you through. Does it taste good? Absolutely not. It is, it is horrible tasting, absolutely horrible tasting, but does it do the job? Does it provide the fuel that my body needs to do the work? Well, where did that come from? I've never, I've literally never heard of anyone doing that before. So I'm really Arnold, curious. Um, so the whole idea behind it was something I came up with, but the whole actual, like just using f- food for fuel and not, it's not, it's not pleasure. Find your pleasure someplace else. Um, but the whole using beer, um, I actually got that from from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Actually, he was talking about, he had one of his, uh, one of his podcasts he was doing. He was talking about his pre-workout and everything. He's like, yeah, I put half a can of Rattler in here. And I'm like, you put beer in there? He's like, yeah, you get the carbs in there. And I'm like, that's a, that's a great idea. And if you, if you go to, and you talk to any like old school gym owner or anything like that, um, they'll tell you the same thing. They're like, oh no, that's an old trick. You know, you throw, you throw a can of beer in there. And I'm like, you're like, you like beer, don't you? Like, yeah. I'm like, all right. It's an easy peasy thing of carbs in there. Chances are, if you are seriously doing, you know, working out, and I'm, I'm not talking like going to Planet Fitness and running on a treadmill. I mean, like you are in there actively training, you know, you're probably super duper low carb anyway, but you got to have some carbs in there. Um, if you want to, if you want to keep up that, that really peak, 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 peak performance on there. I mean, you look at, you look at professional strongmen, bodybuilders, athletes across the board, and every single one of them, you know, they 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 do something for carbs. Um, Jason Momoa, um, for example, he rock climbs. That's his workout. He's he, he rock climbs, and he eats. Um, his rule is lean meats. And green leafy veg. If it's a if it's green and leafy and it grows above the ground, that's what he eats. And he saves all his carbs for beer. Which, right? Um, so like that's that's like that's and that that continues on. Um, another thing that I'll that I'll do with food is I'll make like something, right? And I'll eat on it for the next week. Um, one of the things I'll do is I make a, a keto lasagna. Absolutely amazing. Just absolutely delicious. I'll, if you want, I will send you the recipe. It, it is stellar. But one lasagna will feed me for 10 days. Um, and, I'll, and I'll eat it every meal. That's a solid food meal for the next 10 days. Just And I'll, I'll just eat it all. And I got asked... Like, well, don't you get tired of eating the same thing? And I'm like, again, once you divorce yourself of the idea that food is anything other than fuel for the engine to, for the work that you're trying to do, it frees up so much of yourself as far as food addiction goes. You, you actually actively start seeking out different sources of pleasure. And I think 
for a lot of people who wind up in the situation that you and I um, were in and, and other people who struggle with it is that you associate validation and feelings of pleasure with food. Like you talk about feed with one hand, slap with the other. Probably one of the greatest moments, because I know it was for me at least, of feeling good and togetherness and family and everything is are were those meals. You you know, I, I, I can't think of anybody, no matter how shitty their childhood was, who will sit there and say that one of their happiest memories was not Thanksgiving at grandma's. You know? Something, something like that, you know. It's, it's, it's ingrained in us as a culture. Um, so I think, I, I think for me, like I said, you know, I had to divorce myself. That food was that source of pleasure. Um, and, and, where it, it, it drives... and where you're at today with that is, is obviously though, because I think there's a, there's stat, you know, and, and, and you talked about, you know, your, your gastric surgery, like. But being over 600 pounds and making that decision that you're going to change that relationship, what was that like? Like, get uh, that initial fight. Like, because I think once we get into a place where we're establishing new patterns and new habits, you know, it's a different, per- you know, we have a different perspective. But do you, you know, do you remember what it was like to actually take those first step, you know, lack of a better term, steps? Oh, it was absolute hell. Absolute hell. Like, I, I know it, I, I come across like I'm trying to say, like, I just snapped my fingers and then all of a sudden, you know, it was off. Like, no, 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 no. I spent months cheating constantly, you know, having to constantly remind myself, like, no, you need to, you need to treat this as fuel, not as pleasure. And then I would get into an argument with my wife and I would sneak off and I would stop at like Jimmy John's and get a sandwich. And then on the way home, I'd stop at Wendy's and get a chicken sandwich. And then she'd call me and ask me if I wanted to go to dinner. I'd say, yeah, let's go get dinner. And we'd go out and everything. And in the course of two hours, I've eaten three full size American meals, which, which portion control in this country is out of fucking control. I I mean, (laughs) um, well, because I ask, follow- I ask it because I think sometimes like, and, you know, and it's not our intention, but sometimes when we're talking about our stories, like we say, this is the thing I needed to do. You know, I had to change that relationship, but I think the person out there, you know, who knows that that's what they need to do and either is struggling to do it or isn't sure how to do it, you know, gains insight from hearing someone say what you're just saying right now, that it wasn't sunshine and roses. Like it wasn't okay, I woke up today and said, I need a better relationship with food. So, uh, you know, I'm going to open the cat, the filing cabinet where I keep my food relationships and I'm going to pick out a better one and just move forward with that. Like there's something, there's something to be said about, you know, understanding that that struggle is like you said, and I don't think it's an intention to say that it was an overnight thing. Like, but it's, it's just giving that understanding that it's not, I, I, cause I think sometimes people want things to be, you know, to feel good and feel great and easy you know, the first day they're doing something. And usually that first week it feels okay because, you know, adrenaline carries us through a lot as human beings. But, you know, when you find, when you feel like you're in a trench battling and you're like, well, it, this is so easy for everyone else. Like, I sometimes just want to scream that it's not, you know, it's not easy. Like, there are going to be times where you, like you said, you struggle, you cheat, you fail. You're still changing those patterns of behavior that got you to the place that you were. You can't just like throw off those shackles in 24 hours. 
No, you you can't, and you you want you want to like you you want to. It's like I wish for people who have never been in the situation, and they say, "Well, it, why can't it just be that easy? Why can't it just be that easy?" And it's it's a common conversation that I have had recently um, with my girlfriend is that I wish I could just turn off the feelings. I wish I could just stop, like just flip a switch and turn off the thoughts that led me to this point, to the feelings and the emotions um, and the the repeated self-training. Um, I wish it was that easy. It's it's not. Um, and yeah, you're you're gonna struggle. You're gonna you're gonna struggle, you're gonna cheat. Um, but you have to keep at it. Um, there is, I, I had somebody I worked with years ago and this, it, it came back up when I started this whole journey, um, where they said, if you do something for 10 days in a row, the same thing at the same time for 10 days in a row, it becomes a habit. Like, and it's the same idea here that if you, if you could continually work at it and you push yourself and just and, and incremental steps and everything. Right? I'm not saying like, like you, if you just sit there, you say, I'm not going to have any sugar for the next 10 days. And then you beat yourself up over the next 10 days. You know, all you're going to do at that point is you're going to create this monster where at the end of that 10 days, like, all right, I got through my 10 days of no sugar. And then you're going to immediately go and drink half a case of soda. Because you are just you're just craving that sugar. You're craving that that thing you've deprived yourself of. Um, so I think what you have to do is you have to baby step it. Um, you have to like, well, I'm I'm just not going to have any soda today, All right? And then the next day comes, you're like, I think I'm not going to have any soda today. And you know, you and you have a day where you're like, you know what? I I just I want I want that Coke. Like, get me get me a Mexican Coke. Let's do this. Um, and so you fall back and everything. It's it's why the uh, it's why the the fad thing of the hard seventy five I think is so popular, and why it's actually so difficult is consistently baby step baby stepping yourself up to actually get through a full seventy five. Um, and the reason why people have to start over so often is because they they do they don't baby step themselves. Um, honestly, I think, uh, something like a hard 75 should probably take you if you consistently worked at it, possibly years mm -hmm. to actually get through it and everything. Um, well, I think, that's, that's, yeah. well, I think that people see 75 hard and they see that the results people, you know, that post, you know, especially, you know, they have a very powerful social media presence, obviously. And I want that, those results. Now have, I, I haven't stepped in a gym or done a workout in 15 years. I haven't followed a diet plan consistently for 25 years, but now all of a sudden I'm going to put myself into this place of where I'm required to work out twice a day and I have to follow a diet. I have to drink, you know, the water, all the steps involved, all that, all that stuff. And, you know, I've got, there are some people that go through that and have a really positive experience, but like you're saying, like there's a place before that. And the, I don't know. I have a visceral reaction sometimes to, to, to even that program because I think, there are people that it does amazing things for and there are people that it hurts, you know, because they can't, 
because they need to baby step themselves and they think they should be able to just do, you know, what everyone else who's doing that program and probably has done it dozens of times is doing. And see, that's 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 the story I don't think gets told behind programs like that is the people who are successful. You all you see, all it's portrayed is, you know, they were successful doing it. They don't. No one ever goes into the 300 times you tried before that that you failed miserably on day two. Like nobody, nobody, nobody touches into that. Nobody, they, all they see is I did a hard 75 and they get these pictures and these people are just absolutely just great looking and they're all smiles and, and sunshine and rainbows. And you don't, you don't see the whole emotional breakdown where you're, you're just, you're sitting on your couch, you know, indulging in something you're not supposed to have as part of it beating yourself down because you're like, well, I fucking failed this. Right. Well, that's, you know, all, the reality is, is like, if you're 500 pounds, 600 pounds, 400, 200 pounds, whatever it is, whatever mountain you have to climb, if you end up being consistent, consistent 90% of the time, 75% of the time, you're making progress and doing better for yourself than trying to go 100% balls to the wall and then breaking. And the, the messaging that not everyone involved with the program, but for the majority, you know, that comes out there is if you don't complete an item, well, you were weak that day, you know, or you let circumstances get the better of you. You need to be a better person. And Absol- that it's absolutely. not the intention, but it's what the person, the people who are not psychologically ready for a program like that here is the program didn't fail me. I failed. I'm a failure. So why am I even trying? Like it's, for someone that can go down that rabbit hole really easy, which I know I can relate to, and you know I'm sure on some level you can relate to, it's, oh, yeah. it's that idea. Then, you know, it's, it's why, so why am I cliche, right? It's so freaking cliche, but it, it is progress over perfection. Because if you're making zero progress and all of a sudden you expect perfection from yourself and that doesn't work, you go right back to that place of making zero progress because that's when the head game of well. I'm not meant to change. You know, I can't do Maybe it's just not in me. You know, the, the worst thing we can ever say to ourselves is maybe it's just not in me. You know, maybe I can't change. Like maybe this is what I was meant. You know, I, how many times that, you know, at my heaviest, did I say, this is just who I was meant to be like, and when I look on it now, I'm like, I don't think that, you know, my circumstances brought me to that place, but I don't think it was like this manifest destiny that I were to, I was going to be 540 pounds. Like I don't think that was stamped on my record the day I was born. But we try to convince ourselves of those things so we can, you know, and that's a it's a survival mechanism, you know, that we could probably spend a long time talking about like, you know, that I, the things that we convince ourselves of when we're in those circumstances when you're 675 pounds and not not screaming every day you know, save me, help me. I don't know what's going to come. You know, I'm, I'm dying here. Like we convince ourselves of things so that we can survive and maintain some grasp on our sanity and, and all of those things. Like, so understanding that when you start to make change, that change is imperfect, and it, but it's okay that it's imperfect. You know, like you're saying, like you had to let yourself know that it was okay to go through those experiences. I think the the biggest thing that anybody who who actually goes through the journey and everything is and this this again this touches on what the the whole social media portrayal about health and fitness 
do not touch on, and they absolutely should, is realizing that it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that if you treat it like a sprint, you are setting yourself up for failure 100% of the time. One, I, there's, there's nothing anyone could tell me to convince me otherwise that if you treat life changes like this as a sprint, that you are not going to fail 100% of the time. You're, you're, you're doomed. You are doomed from the start. Um, you have to treat it like a marathon, you know, and it's not about how long it takes you to get to that destination it's about actually consistently moving towards it um and yeah that's that's the that's the that's the that's i think the the damning part about programs like this and the social media presence with it is that again it's presented like oh i did it with no problem or thing you don't you never become privy to the struggle you never become privy to the marathon that that person ran um, to get to that finish line and how long it took them. All you see is, oh, I didn't, I didn't drink a beer for 75 days and I worked out twice a day and drank a gallon and a half of water, everyone, you know, every day and everything, no sugar, no alcohol, you know, stuck to my diet and now look at me and everything. Again, you don't see the 300 times that they failed on day two. Right. <laughs> you know? So for you, man, moving, moving forward in your, your, your journey, when did when did surgery come into play for you? Was it further along? Like was it early on? Like when when did that come into play for you? So I had tried for a while to to lose weight on my own, right? Mm-hmm. I did I did keto, I did carnivore, I did high glycemic index, I did starvation diets, um, I did different workouts, I did I did everything. Um, I, I did everything I possibly could. Um, I was even on Robesis for about a year, and I and don't get me wrong, I lost like thirty five pounds on it. Um, like it definitely definitely made a difference, and it was definitely an aid. But I needed those, I needed something a little a little more and everything. Um, and talking to the weight and wellness clinic at North of Kids City Hospital, um, great surgeon there, Doctor Berghoff is who who did my surgery and everything, and talking to the team over there. And the one thing that I, I did learn is that for some people, surgery is the best option. You know, you could, you could explore non-surgical options and everything, but eventually you get to a point where you have to change. Um, not only do you have to change the, the, the mentality and the head game with it and everything and the lifestyle changes, but you also have to change um, the anatomical and the physiological as well. Um, as as and it wasn't just Berghoff's team to explain this to me. I'd also tried this when I lived in Maine still, um, going over to to Maine Med and their their weight and wellness and everything. And it was some people, you know, this is just what they need. Um, and once that's done, and everything the physiology will change. Your body will actively try to lose weight. Um, and a lot of it has to come with. As far as the as the physical goes, it's a lot of malabsorption, um, and it's a lot of capacity issues. Um, when I talk about how ninety percent of my calories I get in a day are through through liquid and everything, it's because you know when your stomach is cut down to a a hard five ounce capacity, 
like I eat, I eat one by one drink more than five ounces at a time, I'm regurgitating. Um, and when your your protein demands are as high as mine are, and, and again, like I said, I I I traded one addiction for another. I went I went to becoming a gym rat. Um, you're constantly consuming, just just constantly constantly consuming to keep up with that and everything. Um, so you have the malabsorption that that comes with it. So you end up taking like handfuls of pills, um, vitamins and everything. And that's, that's the other thing too, that I think really, really becomes explained to you is yeah, you trade in all your, your diabetes medication and your cholesterol medication and your high blood pressure medication and whatever medication that you're on, because, you know, you have the, you have the health effects of, you know, being a contestant in my 600 pound life. Um, and you trade that in for, vitamins because your body just will not absorb the nutrition that you that you desperately need and everything um and it's those two things there and it's also it hormonally changes you as well um one of the things that i found is that with the increased energy levels and i and i don't know if this is because of of the weight just not having enough hormone that could physically be produced and everything but like for example low testosterone um i i I don't know of many guys who get as big as we were who don't have testosterone issues um and it's and it's literally is this being caused because there's something else physiologically wrong with me that i'm not producing enough hormone or is there just too much here right is there just too much body here? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, wild in of itself. Um, well, body fat impacts hormone production. In, oh, yeah. You know, um, many more powerful ways than, you know, people even realize sometimes. Oh, yeah. Especially if you go for so long basically starving yourself of appropriate hormone levels and everything, and then you start getting even the tiniest amount. It's 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 life changing. Um, I was actually talking to my, my endocrinologist because I'm on I'm on a traditional TRT now. And I I was asking, you know, a pointed question. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this now and everything. And I have energy levels and libido that I had when I was a teenage boy. And her response was, I don't think that we're giving you too much or anything like that. I think it's you spent so long starved of those hormones that now even the tiniest bit feels like a full tank. Um, Which I I found was very, very interesting. Um, But no, as far as the surgery goes, I... It's something I sought out. Um, I, I tried. I I can say with all honesty that I tried everything else on its own, um, and that was the combination that I I needed. Um, and 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 don't get me wrong. There there is more to that story of the the rapid weight loss and everything because I lost almost four hundred pounds. Um, and I actually got all the way down to 268. So I technically did lose over 400 pounds um, in just over a year. And, but it wasn't all just the surgery that did that. Um, I also 
wound up with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and as it turns out, you know, you just don't want to eat at all when you're on chemo. So you try being, you know, a contestant of my 600 pound life and literally only able to physically, because you're just so nauseous all the time, eat mm-hmm. 300 calories a day and see how fast you lose weight. Well, which, you know, is again, you know, I don't, it, it, it's almost like there's a part of me that's like, there's still, you know, there, there's so much more, you know, to your story, you know, that we haven't even touched on yet. Like going through that experience, like not just going through the surgery, but going through uh, your, your can't, you know, deal, your cancer diagnosis and treatment and understanding like the, the storm that became in your body, you know, that, that year, like there, there's powerful stuff going on on so many different levels, you know, and you're having to deal with so much on so many different levels, like being able to come through that and still be fighting for yourself and be in the, that healthy place. Like, because it's almost like, you know, whatever, whatever you believe in, you know, we all have different levels of faith and belief and all of those things like the universe out there, you know, you went from this place where you were looking at what were my options in terms of going forward in life or not going forward in life. And you make this decision to really fight for yourself and get into that battle and start this marathon. And then the universe says, Oh, is, is this not enough of a battle for you? Let me throw something else in there. You know, let me, let's, let's up the ante and, and test this resolve you have to live. You know, do you want to live? Okay. Well, I'm, we're going to make this a thousand times harder than just, I need to eat less food. Like, Oh, Oh yeah. Like, like I, 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 I didn't joke about this. I actually sat there one day and I, because I, I am, I'm religious, religious. I was raised um, Roman Catholic. Um, and I was, I was sitting there and I was actually praying one day. And I remember, um, cause I take a very, very conversational approach. Um, with prayer and everything and it's like really is this like god is this a fucking joke to you like i like i finally actively choose to live to make the changes and i feel like you're you're like all right are you sure i mean you prayed for me to kill you for how long and now you want to live let's just make sure you really want to live let's throw the most impossible scenario that you can possibly that I can possibly give you that doesn't outright kill you to see if you really want to live. Are you really sure you want to live? Um and my my therapist actually asked me, you know, do you what drives you? Why why do you despite all of that adversity, why do you continue on? Why do you keep going? And there's a Roman um, Stoic philosopher who was also an emperor, Marcus Aurelius, um, who put it who put it out there. He's got he's got a saying out there, um, and it's very very simple. It's just live a good life. If there are gods and they are just, then they will not care how devout you have been but will welcome you based on the virtues you have lived by. If there are gods, but unjust, you should not want to worship them. If there are no gods, then you'll be gone. But you have lived a noble life that will live on in the memories of your loved ones. And that's what it's all about. 
Okay. It's if you, you, if you, Gormy, you want, you want real immortality, you have two options. You can either do something so horrific, but they never forget you, or you do something so great, but they never forget you. And I don't know about you, but I want a fountain outside of a dog park outside of KCI airport, you know? So for the rest of fucking time, as long as there's a Kansas City, because Kansas City is a city of fountains, which means if there's a fountain there, they will dump tax dollars into making sure my monument stays up to date and clean and, and accessible to everyone as long as there's a city. That's the, that's the legacy I want. I want every time, because I love dogs, I want every time you fly into Kansas City, the first thing you do with your dog is you visit my dog parking, you visit my memorial. Every time you leave, you fly out of Kansas City, the last thing you do is you visit my memorial with your dog. That's immortality right there. You did something so good that they build a memorial to you that people visit every day. And that's really what it comes down to. You only accomplish that by doing something, by living a good life, a truly good life. And again, if at the end of everything, you know, if they're... If there is a God and God is just, God will love you based upon your virtues and will welcome you based upon that. If God doesn't, you shouldn't want to be there. And if there is no God, you got immortality. You can't lose. You 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 cannot lose with those options. And that's 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 what drives me. Yeah. That's that's why I get up and I do the work and everything. And that's really what it's gotta be about. Like having that sense of purpose because like, like, like your story exemplifies, you know, the journey you've been on exemplifies, there are going to be days that are not easy. There are going to be times that are challenging. There are going to be things that get thrown in your way that are 100% out of your control. So having that focus on, Am I living the life that I want to be living? Am I being, am I, am I that person that lives that life as well? You know, go, you know, we talk about stoicism, like the, the, the concept of, you know, memento mori has meant a lot to me in my life because it was that realization that it does, doesn't mean, because that, I think at first glance that, that idea, you know, the concept memento mori for people that don't know is, you know, that you remember you're going to die. Like we all die. And I think at surface glance, that means, well, if I know I'm going to die, why not burn out? Like, party hard, not take care of my, like, if I'm going to die anyway, why care? And you have to realize that it becomes about, the if today is the last day of my life, am I living this last day as the person I want to be remembered as? You know, as that person I want to be immortalized as? Like, am I exemplifying the things that I want to exemplify, the things that matter, the things that I feel are right and just? Like. Am I doing that on a daily basis? And those are the that's that's the path that carries you through whatever barrage of of garbage gets thrown at you in your life. You know, whether you're someone that's not struggling with with food addiction issues and weight issues or health issues or cancer or any of those things, there are going to be things thrown at you, whether it's, you know, losing a job, losing a relationship, having something bad happen to someone in your family, like all of those things it doesn't mean you you walk through it all with a bright shining smile on your face but you walk through it knowing that you're walking through it with intention and you're making you're controlling the things that you can control and feeling good about that and as this all grows and continues for you 
feeling good about the fight that you're in, like understanding that the fight matters, that you matter in that fight. Yeah. Dare to embrace hope. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and instead of it's uh Seneca um, actually talks about this in one of his uh, one of his letters to Lucilius, um, another another Stoic philosopher. Um, he talks about how woes and troubles will come. Um, they're they're going to come. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations and everything. Just dare to hope. Dare like don't you. You know this bad shit's going to happen. It's it's going to happen. Why are you focusing on what if the bad shit happens? Why don't you focus on what if you're successful? What if what if you make that change? What if you get what you were actually working for? And I think part of the struggle for not just not just in in uh in health and fitness and everything is struggling with a, well what if I fail? I think it's in all things. We don't focus on what if we're successful. You know what? What if we actually do what we set out to do and everything? We don't. And I, I don't know where this began with a lot of people, and I don't know if it's everyone, but I know with me, I it was. I don't know how to be happy, and I've tried to modify that into how do I become happy? How how what how do I learn? to accept success? How do I learn to dare to hope, to embrace possibility instead of inevitability? It's a a perspective shift that sounds simple on the surface, but it, it permeates through every part of our life. And it's not easy to make. Like, there, you know, we can wake up with that intention every day, and by m- the middle of the day, feel so piled on that you know the the light of that hope doesn't feel as bright. But then it becomes about fighting for that hope. You know, it becomes fighting about that perspective. Whatever the the choices we need to make that day are, whatever the work we need to do is, you know, even even be you know, and to bring it back and tie it in specifically to things that you've said today, like understanding that you know coming through heroin addiction and food addiction, and then saying, you know, I transferred my addiction to what I do physically for myself to take care of myself on a daily basis, the, the work I do in the gym, you know, that physical activity. Part of that can be about, I, I'm understanding that this is a part of myself that is not going to change overnight. You know, I can't change my personality. I can't change the pathways, but I can put things in that path that are going to serve this purpose that I feel I have now, that, that show that I'm living to live that I I'm keeping that hope there and continue to do that work. And that work will continue to evolve, you know, and it's being open to understanding that that work will continue to evolve for the rest of your life. And you have to be willing to, you know, to step forward and do it. Like, and it is, I, I feel like I have this conversation so many times with, with clients I work with, like when they're like, I had one, you know, I, I, how was your week? You know, well, my week was okay. But this night I had a, this was a really hard challenge and I didn't make, you know, I ended up making bad decisions. And I'm like, but there were seven other days in the week where you won. Like, it doesn't mean that the fight doesn't matter and that the challenges don't matter and the failures don't matter. But as a people, as a culture, we focus so much on the negative. We focus so much on those times that we did get knocked down that sometimes we forget that the next day we got up, you know, or the day before that we stood strong. Like, 
we have to it to make lifelong lasting change especially you know and again I'll, i i say this a lot on this show kind of tying it back to when you were deal not just dealing with needing to lose a, the last stubborn 20 to 30 pounds when you have 400 pounds to lose 500 pounds to lose 300 pounds to lose 200 pounds to lose that you have to it it is going to be that that part of you that holds on to hope that's going to carry you through this long-term marathon battle like you, it's not just about one fight winning one fight and everything's over like there's going to be battles for the rest of our lives but it's that armor of perspective and that armor of hope that's going to carry you onto that field every day and that's what you do now like you get up and you fight for yourself every day and you you put those things into into, into action and you take care of yourself and like you said, you know, we can we could uh, elevator speech part of it and talk about you know you came through the experience of of surgery and of battling cancer and you know now find that you know w the work you're doing you know requires you to focus highly on protein and in, in that lower carb space and like finding the tools you know because we could have we could have taken this discussion in a very different direction and just spent our time talking about the details of the tools that you used. And that would be helpful for someone. But I think sometimes us pulling back and talking about the messages and the perspectives and the lessons that we've learned and how we actually apply those. Because we could spend days talking about, you know, experiences we went through, you know, when we were in that quote unquote before space and the things we had to learn from that. But it's how, do, how does all of that add up to where I am today? And what I'm doing today, and I think that's another thing that comes through in that idea of, you know, a lot of the writings of, of Stoics and, you know, those places of, of what's happening for me right now. Like, I can't change the past. I don't have a time machine, you know, and I'll, I'll, I could geek out and be like, well, and what is the danger to the, the space-time continuum if you were to try to change those things? But what I do right now is what matters most. The most important choice I'm ever going to make in my life is always going to be the next one. And if I'm doing that from a sure-footed place, there will be times where the ground is crumbling and I stumble, but I'm still taking the steps that I need to take. And I'm still doing the things that I can do no matter what storm I'm weathering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're knowing all of that and, and thinking about all of that, like, what is your perspective now on, on where Tom goes from here today? I'm just focused on building that, uh, building that legacy, you know, living that, just trying to live that good life and everything. Um, like, you know, I, I, I have, I have an Instagram where, you know, I, I, I make my post today about, you know, my, what day I'm on the progress pictures, you know, cause I'm, I am currently in the middle of a hard 75, um, of sorts. Clearly I'm not doing the no alcohol part if I'm mixing a beer in with my pre-workout. Um, but I'm doing I'm doing everything else that's on there, you know, um, because it's it's about that changing your neural pathway so you focus, you know, you learn to focus on better habits, um, and it's I had I've had a couple of people on Instagram reach out to me um, asking me if I want to increase my following and. 
you know, if I'm willing to give them money, they'll they'll do shout outs and help, you know, share my my page and everything. And I actually told one of them, no, um, I'm I'm not interested. Like, well, you get you know so many followers and everything, and it's like I don't think people understand that not everyone is on a social media platform putting putting themselves out like that that they're actually seeking out attention or anything like that my my whole outlet in it is twofold it's it's one it's essentially an open journal um and if my story and my journey inspires even one person just one person that's all that matters to me I don't. I don't need my my story to go and wind up with like a million people following me and everything. I don't. I don't need that. I need one person to be inspired, just just one. And if I get just one person inspired, that's enough for me. And that's that's what that's what it's all about. Um, on there and everything. I'm not seeking out you know, fame and fortune or anything like that. I'm just, it, it's like my biography says, you know, I'm some dude who got tired of not living after 40 years and decided to start living again. And that's, that's really what it is. And I know with as many people are on the planet that I'm not alone in that. I'm not alone in that. I just got to a point where I didn't want to live for so long. And then I wanted to live and Here's what I'm doing. Here's what helps me. Here's what drives me. Um, well, if people listening want to want to take part in that, you know, and see what what you're doing, just before I forget to to ask it, like, where what is your Instagram? Where do people find you, man? Uh, Modern Scald. M O D E R N S K A L D. And I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes, obviously, for anyone out there listening. But I think there are people that are gar- are going to want to, you know pay attention. And, and it is really about because social media aside or not, you know, our lives have to continue, you know, and the, the battles continue. So, you know, being willing to open yourself up and share it, you know, is, is a gift to other people and, and something that, you know, I think people are, you know, the, the right people find when they need to find it and take those messages and, and move forward with them and, and apply them to themselves. And, you know, sharing it it honestly and openly like you do is is a part of that process as well it absolutely is 100 percent, man well tom i have honestly really enjoyed this conversation and i feel like we, we touched on a lot of things and i feel like i'd love you know at some point to have you come back on and us we can dive deeper into different facets of it but i also don't want to take up your your entire saturday is there anything that you were hoping we would talk about during this discussion that we haven't really gotten into today? Honestly, I had no idea where the conversation was going to go. Um, I, I had no idea where it was going to go. I was prepared to just, I'm very much a go with the flow kind of guy. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, there's no, no place in particular I thought it was going to go. I was hoping it was going to go. I mean, it went exactly where I thought it was going to go. It's just, just an open dialogue. Um, as far as coming back and everything, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Had a blast doing this. Would love to do it again. Well, I have, like I said, I, I've already said it. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed our, our time together. And I know that there are things, you know, I almost feel like this is going to be an episode people might need to listen to twice to, to catch on to everything, you know, every gem that was in there. But 
I end every episode, man, with five questions I call the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for your run through those questions? All right, let's hear them. Okay, so question number one, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Oh, God, Jim Belushi. Mm. Jim Belushi, the, the, the high energy, um, really one of the last of the physical comedians who acted and brought joy and comedy through his whole being. Mm. Jim, Jim Belushi, by, by far. I like it, man. I like it. Question number two, Tom, what is something about yourself that you love? You know, I get asked that quite a bit. Um, I, I love the fact that I love the fact that I just want everyone else to be happy. You know, I, I'm always willing to give 110% just to make someone else happy um, and genuinely happy. You know, not just like placate them or anything like that. Like actually like, hey, this person needs this. Let's do this for them, you know, and, and to expect nothing in return. You know, I don't, I don't set expectations for anything I do for anyone, but they're going to reciprocate it. Unfortunately, I actually learned years ago to set my expectations to um, as low as humanly possible. So if people disappoint you, you're not disappointed. Um, and if they do anything more beyond absolute bare minimum, you're pleasantly surprised. Mm. There we go. Question number three, man. On this marathon, and I feel like that's somehow going to make its way into the description or the title of the episode somehow, uh, that you've been on in your life, what do you think has been the most important new habit that you've built? And we, we talked a little bit about habits. Like, what do you think is what do you think is one that you would highlight? Honesty. Hon- honesty. Um, you have to stop lying to yourself. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. I work out first thing in the morning because I recognize in myself, and I was honest with myself, that if I don't work out first thing in the morning, I won't. I will spend the entire day making excuse after excuse and lying to myself, saying that I'm going to go and work out, and it will never happen. So as far as habits go, the first thing you got to do is you got to learn to be brutally honest with yourself. Accept your flaws, accept your failures, but be honest with yourself. Stop, stop lying to yourself. There you go. Question number four, man. What is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Um, oh God. I actually set out a set of four, four goals. Um, that I, I shared. One of them is to have all of my debt that I owe paid off mm-hmm. with the exception of my my mortgage and my student loan debt. So like all the credit cards, cars, all of that, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have that paid off by the end of the year. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good goal. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Question number five. Tom, if, if you could go back and, and talk to yourself, you know, specifically that, you know, that, that weekend where that thrive, you know, that, that thrive to live finally came into focus for you. Um, 
with your nephews at the house and, and dealing with the physical challenges, like what do you feel is one message you needed to hear then that you would go back and share with yourself? I don't think I would go back. I, I, I actually can honestly say I don't think I would go back and I would tell myself anything, you know, even even if I needed to hear it. Um, and the, the reason why is I believe that every experience, every trial, every tribulation, every success that I have had between then and now um, is as a result of experience. And I wouldn't want one single thing to potentially change where I'm at now. I, I mean, I, it's like it's like the whole idea of knowing when you're going to die. Does it make it any easier? Or do you just end up changing your focus and precipitating upon, you know, the fact that you're going to die X time? And, and I feel like it's the same idea. If I went back in time and I could tell myself, no, no, dude, you're, you're going to be, you're going to lose all this weight and everything. It's going to be okay. But you're going to find yourself embroiled in a divorce and an emotional, just hot mess. Um, and you're just, you're literally going to take your entire life and you are going to burn it to the ground. Do I think I honestly would have started then? Mm-hmm. Or were I like, mm, no, it sounds like I'm going to fuck everything up that right. I'm doing right now. You know, so no, I, I, I like it. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and I wouldn't tell myself anything. I like it, man. That's a good answer. Well, Tom, I just want to say a big thank you again for coming on the show, you know, sharing your experience and, you know, your, your open, honest perspective on it. Uh, I have really enjoyed this conversation and I think people listening are going to get a lot out of it. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. Loved being here. Love to see you again. Definitely, man. Definitely. And so for everyone listening, Tom's contact information for his Instagram will be in the show notes of the episode. You know that you can always connect with me on Instagram at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can connect with me on X if you want to as well. I'm not as much on there as I am on Instagram, but I'm there. You can also email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And then my friends, remember, go out there, do something today to amaze yourselves because you are the most amazing people that I know. Then come back and catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Thank you.